0: Hey, I'm, uh, I'm not a lumberjack or a fur trader, and I don't live in an igloo or eat blubber or own a dog sled. And I don't know Jimmy, Sally, or Susie from Canada, although I'm certain they're really, really nice. I have a prime minister, not a president. I speak English and French, not American, and I pronounce it about, not a boot. I can proudly sew my country's flag on my backpack. I believe in peacekeeping, not policing diversity, not assimilation, and that the beaver is a truly proud and noble animal. A tooth is a hat, The Testerfield is a
1: coach, and it is pronounced Zed, not Zed, Z-
0: Everybody, and welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? Well, 420 was already taken, and happy hours happening somewhere else. We're your hosts. I'm Whiskey, and I'm Rocks. Try not to fiddle fuck with your microphone too much.
1: <laughs> I thought you were against uh, value signaling by uh, <laughs> companies like Coors and Molson Canadian.
0: No, this is different. Is it
1: the, <laughs> it's the American
2: Coors Company that owns Molson's. So I don't. Know I think
1: it, it? I thought Anheuser Bush owned Molson. That's a quick Google.
0: But anyway, what do you think? You th- you like that intro? Not bad, eh? We're getting better.
1: Yeah, I guess we could. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm just gonna look at
2: Molson Brewing. I guess the shame of it is the beer's not very good. Is it?
0: No. Yeah, not the not. <laughs> You might have to talk uh, closer, a closer into closer. the mic. Yeah. All right, that's all right. <clears throat> but yeah, the uh... we have one of
2: those myths about uh, that our beer is better, but all that microbrew in America too. They have that beer microbrew revolution. There's a pretty good beer down there.
1: Yeah, I agree. So just to maybe clarify, uh, Molson Coors is one company. Uh, they merged in 2005, around the same time that commercials was written.
0: That might have been a couple years before. No, that
1: was way before. A couple years before. So, uh, it's the seventh largest brewing company in the world.
0: March 2000 is actually when it came out.
1: So, yeah. So, five years later, they're merged with American company. So, not so
0: American or it's not so Canadian at the end of it. Um, how dare you? How dare you? You, you ruined my childhood every time we do this. (laughs) It's not good. Well, if you
1: like crappy beer, (laughs) but I, well, I I was listening to like a CBC episode and, um, they're talking about the alcohol content
3: and how one has
1: more than the other. And in reality, what the, the CBC article really talked about was, is actually in the statement. So one is by volume, one is by weight. So they're actually, the beers are equ- pretty well equivalent. Just one's by volume, one's by
0: weight.
3: <laughs>
0: mm. Very fascinating. So... So, we have with us today, we have a special guest with us. We haven't quite decided on a nickname for you, but I was thinking like we could do, like, I don't know, Hot for Teacher. We were going with uh, the Professor. I, I like the Professor. Like a Batman villain. Yeah, it sounds I'm like From a Bat- the campy 1960s Adam West. That sounds sounds great. <laughs> I like it. So, uh, the Professor here, he's. Uh,
2: Wasn't there a Professor? Was he Professor Egghead? Was well, there like Batman?
0: Professor Xavier. Xavier? Yeah, 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 you could do that. Why not? Have a little more hair. Doctor Strange. <laughs> Doctor Strange? <laughs> yeah. He's, well, he's the only one of us
1: that has a superhero name.
0: Yeah. Hey, that's a good one. I like that.
1: Anyway. And, you, and you come dressed in all kinds of colors.
0: So so what bring <laughs> what brings you here? Uh an invitation from my uh, dear friend Rox. Nice. Um, what uh, well I guess. We're kind of getting right into the topic. We're talking about Canada versus American relations, but you've got a bit of a uh, you got a stake in this, I guess you could say.
2: Uh, well, I teach it at, uh, at a university. Uh, I teach Canadian relations uh, for a number of years. I've written some uh, book and some other things uh, about Canadian relations. So um, it's obviously a topic that's in the news lately. Mm-hmm. Um, both in terms of kind of the political relationships, obviously things to do with NAFTA or NAFTA 2 or whatever it's being rebranded yeah, NAFTA as. NAFTA 2.0. I'm sc- I'm sc- if it gets
0: ratified. If it ever yeah. gets ratified. <laughs> yeah, if that ever happens. I always defer to like comedians when I talk about uh, Canadian US relations. Like uh, a good, a famous one was Robin Williams back in like 2005. He said, Canada is like the loft department on top of a really great party. That's probably all right. Yeah, yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> you know, all kinds of reckless things happening down there, and we're just trying to keep things civil as much as we can. <laughs> and the neighbors are pretty noisy, I think.
3: Eh?
1: What was the adage? I have a, a friend that uh, uh, he immigrated from Oregon. What was, what was it about? He had said, um, <clears throat> uh, there's a three idioms. So it's, uh, oh, shit. Oh my god, it was such a great oh
2: he put it so well. The problem with people from Oregon is they've got legal weed there, I think. And so you kind of And they're the from idiots.
0: Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, well okay, so there's a couple of things that I could go into about this. One, I'll just say it up front. Anytime I've been in the states, um, I mean, I've got family in the states and they're lovely, wonderful people. Um, but for some reason, like anytime I've been in the States for work or gone, traveled through there or stopped off at a bar or anything like that, you just like have a random conversation with um, people who live in America. It's just like, there's, there are different people. Like there's something, something different about them that I just can't put my finger on. Have you been to Newfoundland? Yes. But those are like, <laughs> those people give the, sh- give you the shirt off their backs. Yeah. And tell you, steal their beer. <laughs> Or take away their fish I don't know Like I don't know It's just different I I would I would rather have a I'd rather have a newfie In my house Than Than an American That's pretty Pretty awful thing to say But It's just like You get this feeling You get this like Do I Can I trust you I don't know It's just because You only travel to Florida though Because it's like A place (laughs) unto itself (laughs) It's where
1: where Canadians Are routinely off Yeah
0: (laughs) Florida, Florida man, yeah sh- That's that's not even American at this point That's just a whole entity unto themselves
1: no, it, was, it was just finding their pocket of Canadians living down there yeah.
0: <laughs> Like I'm not saying that we're better or worse or anything like that I Just like, just in my own experience They just, there's something Something off Something didn't smell right I know you're looking at me with this incredulity
2: <laughs> Just
1: They're just people with a different way of looking at things No, and- I get it I mean, I'm from the Prairies. you're from Ontario, so, you know, it's, chances are we're 50 cuff 50 cu- later on. But um, but we, traditionally, Canadians ha- do have a different view on life. We tend to have a more in-the-moment view on it, whereas people with the max access from different countries come to the U.S. for the pursuit of happiness or to look to get the American dream
3: mm-hmm. to
1: be something else. Whereas we put it, we just live and enjoy it today.
0: Yeah, that was a good point. Like, it was something that we kind of talked about before the weekend. Um, that was a bit of the conversation. Like, there was, like, there's two different attitudes almost. And you can look at it in terms of um, the three... The, what are they, like the three fundamentals of. That's what I was trying to get. Yeah, I get it. The three fundamentals of being an American are the three life, fundamentals li- of. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then in Canada, we have peace, order, and good government. Yes. And so, like that's, that's the difference, right? I, I could see that for sure. The way, uh, the way my father always put it was, uh, cause he had a lot of, uh, dealings. He had a lot of, uh, business, uh, in, in America that he, Um, a lot of business people that he worked with and that kind of stuff and uh, the way that he saw it and explained it was that uh, there's three types of Americans there's the xenophobe who hasn't left the country hasn't left their state probably hasn't even left their county um, who thinks they know how the world works um, but just makes arbitrary assumptions you can tell the type of person that they are right? Um, the second is the business person and you're you're gonna love what I have to say about this, but it's the type of person who uh, who doesn't really doesn't really give a shit about what you do or who you are. They're just looking to see whatever penny they can pinch out of you. And then the third is the well-traveled kind of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, oh my god,
2: a worldly person.
0: Worldly, yeah. They're like um like a diplomat. Of, of sorts. They're not an official diplomat, but they behave as though they are working in the interests of you know both their own country but in but uh, uh, in the interests of the country that they're in. So they're polite, they're genuine they're generally um, they act like they're a guest in somebody's house.
2: But Pu- fundamentally they're probably still convinced that their way of life is obviously the best way mm-hmm. and that they might be. Most people want to be Americans. I think that's a basic assumption that they go on. I think.
0: And I think you're right. I think there's but, a, a but lot
2: of that. I'm just going to be the
1: devil's advocate here. Didn't you did didn't you just almost profile or stereotype three classes of Americans when there's like 52 states? So
0: what you're goddamn is, right. I did. <laughs> is it is
1: very <laughs> prosperous? Is it is the most pro- prosperous uh, country? And I would say in this this side of the globe and in this hemisphere um well, they control, which with, with mass migration um i mean i get it they control I, I mean i've gone all to,
0: the major trading ports right or they not ports but they can trade they control all of the trading routes both the pacific and the atlantic i get that
2: i mean i find one of the most fascinating things is actually if you just take california it has the fifth or sixth largest gdp if it was a country it would have the fifth or sixth largest GDP and it has a population bigger than Canada. It's mm-hmm. pretty incredible. To think that's true of something like that.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: you, it's the scale of America that I think is a. Is, I mean, there's places like Wyoming where no one lives, which is this fair. Something but like, there's there's Texas, there's Florida, there's New York State, and California, which have collectively like 150 million people, and those are just four and, states. And right? when
1: you have these large demographics, you have large demographics, a large population size, and then the greater their extremes. So it depends which part of that spectrum you run into and you say well that's an american um i i, I don't think that's right like i had americans that work for me um that have moved because whatever their beliefs are and i would say every single one of them was very different like if we, we want to be inclusive so in canada we say you're a new fee and you you sort of like Okay, he's fun-loving. We we look for the good in the fellow Canadians. <laughs> it's like that. Like but when the, we look at Americans, it's, it's almost we're like we're looking for the the pessimistic view on it. And really, what they're doing is the same as us. the conferences I attend. It's, it's always interest-based negotiations. And the first thing they say is usually, "You need to understand the size and the scope of what you're asking us to do." And like then when
0: you're talking about when Americans are demanding stuff of you as a Canadian, or we're
1: developing p- policies together. Okay. You need to understand is that a small change in policy costs them lots of money. Right. Okay. And has lots of training implications because there's a whole bunch of different organizations that depend on it. Right. So don't say, well, Americans, why don't you?
0: (laughs) Just understand there's a whole leeway there. I think that's a common question that they ask themselves, right? There's a, why can't we? Why don't we? When it comes to doing something that might be different, like... I'm playing a lot of what if games, so I don't know how to provide an adequate example to supplement my argument. But I'm kind of, let's. There seems like you know the whole idea of yes we can. The can do. The, the can do. American I'm an American, can, not an American. Yeah. <laughs>
2: the can do spirit, is it? You're yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's baked into their American experience, right? Right. I mean, if you go back to, I mean, 1776 or something, they, you know, to overthrow. Uh, uh, you know, the greatest empire at the time to achieve independence and then to conquer this continent and then to go on in this, you know, century and the one that just this ended this is the kind of American century to, to become a superpower, not only militarily, but economically and culturally. I mean, why not? Why can't, can't they do that can-do spirit? Mm-hmm. And so you may not like uh, Donald Trump, but his message is fundamentally,
0: it's it's not wrong from the, the Message of another, any other American prisoner. It lies that, yeah, it lies that that heart it clings to those roots yeah. that are like fundamental roots to I don't know what do you want to call it the American condition, I guess.
2: But I mean,
1: let's. I mean, let let we can go down the rabbit hole. I mean, we can look at talk about your expertise in 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 the demographics because I know the ones that are north. Their the values are very similar along the border are very similar to. Mostly Ontario in the west, or mm-hmm. sorry, Ontario in the east, and they align with the cultures central, align with the cultures right. west because there's a lot of cross-border pollination, right? Mm-hmm. As we go across, because I remember growing up in southern Manitoba, we used to go to Minnesota every once in a while, and we'd see Americans come up because we we know we're there because we saw their change in her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the, the the main thing is that I think like Ontario has a very long, quite a bit, of, quite a bit in common with let's say Michigan. And uh, northern like New the York,
0: Midwest kind of. Yeah. Well, Michigan isn't really Midwest. Somewhere
1: it's more so long the uh, the Great Lakes region. Yeah, because we all we all have a vested interest, and we come together in a, in a North North American culture. And the best example is the Great Lakes watershed. Now there were some, some some municipalities south of the Great Lakes that had a water shortage problem, and what they wanted to do is siphon off. Water from the Great Lakes uh, to support or augment their needs. Unanimously, all the municipalities around the Great Lakes, north and south of the border, said no.
0: Yeah, of course not.
1: We united. They united. So that tells me the values are very similar, and I think that's a very legal way of representing that.
2: Hmm. I would think if, you, and if you looked across the continent, you'd find areas. You know, the Pacific Northwest is very, people in Pacific Northwest in the United States, your friend from Oregon, very similar to people in BC. People in the prairies, very similar to people in Wyoming and to the Dakotas and other kinds of places. And here, obviously, there's this kind of Great Lakes transnational kind of area. Uh, I mean, I grew up in this, Kingston, and so in this area, uh, this was before September 11th, you so you didn't really need a passport, but you could, you could go for lunch, like across the way in about Watertown or something, and Americans came up here all the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh you know, it's a common kind of thing. And of course, in the Maritimes, there's not that much difference between Maine and New Brunswick and other mm-hmm. kinds of places. So, uh, and I think there's something like between the, in the early 20th century, I think like a million Maritimers ma- migrated to Massachusetts and other places to work and lumber and coal mining and other kinds of things. So there's family connections, of course, across the all, all so whole so what? So what, I guess this goes to what, what is the difference between Canadians and Americans? There are differences, but what are they?
0: Yeah, like Isn't, I do get the idea that there's like Regional similarities across like a specific geography. Let's put it that way. I get that. Um, some overall, I hear the comment quite often that a lot of Canada is like a lot of the American Midwest. Um, you get a lot of um, it's, it's more because our population is significantly smaller. You get a lot of tighter knit communities who are just working together to try and figure their, figure the shit out and come together as a community and try and who knows, like just deal with what you you've said in the past is the human condition. Right. So you see a lot of that um, in, in place in like a lot of small towns. Um, You don't see that so much in big cities where, you know, it turns into like this jungle gym of every person for themselves. Right. So, I kind of see a little bit of that. I also hear the other the other example. I think uh, I heard on Joe Rogan said it a few times on his podcast where um, Canadians are like Americans, but there's just like 20% less douchebags.
2: <laughs> hey, those are the kind of comments like Joe the Molson guy that make us feel good about ourselves because we like to define ourselves Against the Americans, right? Yeah. We no longer define ourselves as not being British, which 100 years ago people used to do, you know, the Vimy Ridge
0: and all that kind of things. To have an identity that makes us feel unique, right? Absolutely. I get that. Now, is that doing us any good? I don't know. Um, Well, if you listen to Mr. Molson, Canadian... Mr. Joe,
2: uh, we're peacekeepers. We uh, speak correctly English and not American. What other kinds of things
0: define us? We, we don't have guns, I guess. Or something. We, pro- we spell. Pro- we have guns. We just... The,
2: our we actually, attitude
0: towards guns is different. And we have more per capita than they do. Yes. That's true. Yeah. That is true. But if you look at the sign, he, had, he flashed
2: a peace symbol and a pistol right? with, his, with his fingers on it. That's very helmet. true. So, yeah. But, I mean... I mean
3: I
1: think it's always looking to define what we're not and I, and we, we talk about this all the time. Maybe we should try something different. Yeah. You should try the variety. Spice Help of yourself. life. Help yourself. There's a blended blue label up there if you want. There's also oh, some PEI. Uh,
2: that's
1: not fan- that's not fancy. That's not the, That one's actually more expensive than the blue label. <laughs> Hold on. No, no, it, man. It's all Experience.
0: good. It's all good. <laughs>
1: Um i I think it was where we were trying to define ourselves what we are and what we're not, and what is Canadian so what are the we, we say what's nice or what we like to be nice in and and the contrast without the contrast we look at what are we and, and I would say that we're just people of different regions trying to do different things um maybe to the same end. we're all looking to procreate the species if you will um. But how we do it is it might switch, uh, change a little bit. Um, how we deal with problems, I would say, is is very different. And that's in green in our culture.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I had a friend that was—he's from uh, Georgia—and he said, "I'll be r-, if you if you heard someone say, i 'I'll be right back,' he's not going to pay the bill. He's coming back with a gun to settle the problem." Um, hmm. Yeah. So you don't if. if if you say that in the south it might be a problem interesting <laughs> so you not you're coming back to pay you're coming
0: back to sell the score <laughs> well i uh, sorry to interrupt you there but there's you bring it up a lot of a lot of the time because you're a lot of your goal especially with the podcast that we've started here is you want to inspire canadian innovation so there's something in in you're, you're something that you're you, 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 I could be wrong. You may not be, but it's like you're implying there's something inherent about innovation that's Canadian that you want to inspire, right? Well, Canadians are
1: just like our our army. If you, if we use the case of the military in the sense, is that we task tailor our army. So from World War One, we 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 learned that we could cobble together a bunch of reservists, militia armies to go and fight something. And closer to the mic. So we could, you know, cobble a bunch of militias to to do a particular aim. World War Two, we started to formalize things a bit better, and then we move on. Same thing happened with research establishments. We had a bunch of little pockets, and then we decided to governmentize research for our benefit. We, we cobble together things. And then when we're done, we feel that they're no longer useful. We tend to disband them. Um, we see that with public utilities. We do the same thing. Um. So we start with telecom companies or we start with hydro or Ontario Hydro was when they or Hydro One we started going with a semi-privatized privatized model. So we started seeing how we are as Canadians. But I think right now is we're, we're at this point where the economy is going so well there's no need to innovate. We're happy. We live in today. We were able to provide for a family like Costco I saw an ad their Costco's hiring wages is $28 to $35 an hour. $28 to $35 an hour. You should tell Forever 21 about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're looking for people, but because everybody else has jobs, there's no need to innovate. We're waiting for that glut, that vacuum, and that vacuum of employment will create a want, and that want will drive desire, and that desire will c- cause a cascading effect
0: what was, the, what was the quote? Necessity is the... Mother of invention? Yes. yeah. Okay. I did teach him Aesop fables. Oh, okay. <laughs> Apparently, yes. Yeah, we're that basic over here, folks.
2: <laughs> I mean, one of the things that's always worried Canadian entrepreneurs and businessmen and people in media and other things, too, has always been the brain drain. So the draw of the American economy uh, for Canadians. And you can think of... Well, Hollywood is probably the best example. Just how many famous Canadians have gone on to Hollywood? But there was a guy, Jeffrey Simpson, who wrote a book called "The Star Spangled Americans." Probably around two thousand or so, and he looked at about a hundred thousand Canadians in high-earning jobs, doctors and, and uh, international lawyers and other kinds of things, but also business people who've gone to America and made tons of money and, and were American, even though they were Canadian. They paid, went to Canadian schools, many of them. You they hear got a subsidized lot about that. Subsidized by by the Canadian taxpayer, and they've gone to America to make. Far more money, yeah. Uh, so that's been that. something that people have complained about since the early twentieth century: is that that kind of draw. What so? What draws people to America when they could have, you know, advantages in Canada for business and other kinds when of things. You Look
0: at a famous historical example. What was uh, I, you might know better than I would? Um, uh, America's sweetheart. What's her name? Mary. Mary Pickford. Mary Pickford, um, the actress. She was Canadian, was she Canadian? not? Um. She's, that's
2: an early 20, yeah or, or uh, if, uh, what's her name Fay Ray of uh, King Kong fame was yeah. born in Cardston, Alberta um, but I don't want to make a silly example of something but I'll say like Justin Bieber or, 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 or Ryan Reynolds or, 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 or Avril Levine there you go oh, wow
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that.
2: But <laughs> well, those are media people. They, that's the most like, I know. But you do
0: hear the thing well, that's about the most doctors. In, your, in your
2: face that would be the most in your face kind of thing. But doctors is, doctors a, physical, is a common like, one. Yeah. Think of how, you know, if we had an extra 1000 doctors in this country who've gone to America instead, what would that do for our healthcare system No, no, what no, no that, that's I a whole separate always,
1: I would say whole okay, so That was sure. that one I would argue sure. the what, healthcare system that's the call of College of Physicians that limits entry. All oh, right. Okay. okay. So I won't go with that one because right. that right. one that, uh, that one will probably slam but I but, agree
2: But I knew In my uh, You know My university There were nurses mm-hmm. Who were doing A nursing degree And they were being poached To go to the US Totally So, and why? Totally. But,
1: but, so. but what I really want to talk about is The It's Canadian value Freedom of movement Is a Canadian value I think They great In the Charter of Rights And Freedom Freedom of movement how, The how ability them to, to move and relocate For something that's better That's a Canadian thing It's a Canadian ideal we talk about the Mennonites who were originally separated from government. And they said, we won't vote. Don't leave us alone. Um, but it's a Canadian ideal to be able to go from Newfoundland to the oil fields. But what's interesting is, <clears throat> is right now, is, is when the oil fields turn down, everybody just returns home. Hmm. When they feel that they're done with that life of the pursuit of happiness, they go back where they are actually happy. So is it that really that bad? I think Robin Thick even came back
0: to Canada. Oh God. <laughs> him and Alan thick. Um, so <laughs> but, one is a hell of a lot better than the other. Let's put it that way.
1: One produced the other video so yeah uh,
0: <laughs> but, when,
1: but when we see this we, we what is Canadian? I think being Canadian is going where the work is, migrating to where it needs to be. And then coming back to where it feels comfortable.
0: Would you, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, freedom and freedom as a, as an argument for, you know, you know, on a scale of zero to uh, what is it? Zero to America. How free are you? <laughs> um, would you would you argue that uh, Canadians are actually a hell of a lot more free than? than than Americans in that sense like that's a hard it's a hard hard question but I don't know just by virtue of what you've been saying it almost sounds like the freedom of movement that we have you know the things that we have in place that allow us to do that
1: CRA will find you better than CSIS
0: oh I get that Yeah, when it comes to money, it's easy to trace anyone. <laughs> but this, no,
1: But
2: the U.S. is harder. Let's just go to your point that there's something, you know, as a Canadian going to America, even if you've lived there or traveled there or make a, you know, it's Korea there for 20 years or something, is there something to be said about peace order and good government as opposed to the, the crazy yeah. stew they have down there? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't
0: so. know.
2: But from the American perspective, of course, there's a very—I'm trying to think—it's a James Cagney movie or something. I'm dating myself from the 1930s, or,
0: anyway. But he is a line. Yeah, the historian <laughs> man. He says, "You're, a, you're a safe." I make fun of whiskey all the time for his age. You you got a free card. But he has this uh, wonderful line where he says, "I'd rather be a, a
2: lamppost in New York City than the mayor of Paris." And I think that's uh, cooked into the American stew. is you know they, this distrust of foreigners, this idea that they're of course better than everyone else. That's and I don't know if coming as a Canadian into that. Living there for 20 years, you you I don't know how much of that. There is of-
0: definitely a larger acceptance of, uh, I guess, immigrants or immigration within the country when you talk about Canada as opposed to the U.S. That's definitely a big one.
1: Maybe I'm going to amplify that one. So I'll throw, throw back at you. What is your
0: expectations of a Canadian? Be respectful of those around you. Be respectful of the laws that are in place here um you should be allowed to practice your religion and be able to do the things that you want so long as you're a productive member of society yeah but there's no expectations to go to church we're in the u.s you don't have to yeah i know but in the u.s that's a good
1: point it is what church do you belong to Mm -hmm. do you want to go the rifle range or the gun range and uh, what political party (laughs) and right now there's like with the last election that just happened they were talking about how there's a Republican relocation service where they relocate you from California or whatever state to a Republican riding and help hook you up with a job. Wow. In order to concentrate their numbers.
0: So for a country that actually has freedom of speech laws written into their constitution, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of actual freedom of speech that's going on. Like, we don't have... Freedom of speech laws in Canada. We have like um, human rights laws and we have, um, what is it, expression? I don't know exactly the details. I probably oh, in the should. Charter? Yeah, yeah in, our, in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But it's funny because we don't actually have freedom of speech laws in Canada. I find that we uphold those values a hell of a lot more here than you would see down in the U.S. I guess, the, I mean, I think there's also, it goes
2: back to me, that peace order and good government thing, but there's a deference to order, I think, that people want to, that people, you know, there's a whole hubbub right now because there's some, you know, Hang uh, Trudeau t-shirts and other things that people are making. But in America, I mean, they're fucking, have a flag that says, don't tread on me. And it's proudly, people proudly take it to protests all the time. and Yeah. They, it's it would be nothing to have a picture of Barack Obama with a Hitler mustache or something. Oh, it's not. I, th- I think in Canada, well, <laughs> yeah. you've got him on the wall there with no mustache. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> no mustache. Right. They've been that doing, you can see. They've been doing this kind of stuff for a very very long time, right? Yeah. I think. And in Canada, you
3: know,
2: you know the 1960s we had rioting and stuff in the 1960s, but nothing like in the United States. Oh, it's not. Right? So some of that is is baked into that stew in America. And there are differences in many ways in terms of politics. I think
0: between the two countries. Just look at the politics itself. I mean, how many, how many assassination attempts have there been on Canadian politicians? One question: Do you include pies? I do. (laughs) (laughs) I always. I'll go back. I'll defer back to uh, Rob Linz again. When uh, somebody try to come and hit me, I fucking knock him out. I don't need no secret service, lah. You know. Back when Jean Chrétien was uh, was prime minister, right? Whereas you know, let's let's look at the list. I think he would probably Bobby would... Kennedy, JFK. We had uh, Ronald Reagan got shot, um, and those are those are just the successful. I mean, if you looked at every president, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a
2: president who wasn't the protagonist of an assassination. Yeah, so, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, like and, they had TV shows about it, like The West Wing. The first season of The West Wing um, showed an assassination attempt on the president. I mean, in, in 19, I think
2: it's 45 or 46, Harry Truman, the new president, there's some Puerto Rican nationalists who like charged the White House. It like, like it's unheard of kind of stuff. So, well, we whoa, also, whoa, whoa, whoa. we also well, went Explain down. Puerto Rican nationalists to me. <laughs> so guys wanted the independence of Puerto Rico. So they wanted Puerto Rico to be independent. Okay. And so they charged the White House with guns. So this is, well, Were we there also, there Was, as was there enough
3: of them?
0: Yeah. No, not enough, not enough, not enough. We also, as Canadians, we went down and burned down the White House at one point. So. But then they moved it, yeah, because <laughs> it was pink at one time, right? Oh, yeah. You yeah. might know more about that. Well, it's one
2: of those classic examples, though, where we like. To we, well, start. I use we, I use popular this... history as an example. No, popular is yeah. fine, but 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 it goes to this point, like that we. Want to define ourselves as being not American, and so one of the greatest things in our history, of course, was the fact that even before we were a country, mm-hmm. uh,
0: we we burned down their goddamn White House. Now, there's a bunch of Brits, Hitler <laughs> couldn't do it, Stalin couldn't do it, a bunch of drunks from no A bunch Coast. of drunk yeah. guys did
1: it. So,
2: um,
1: it's because of it feeding and raids, man,
2: yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah, so but that becomes just a crowning achievement, and yet it was hilarious to see this past summer, uh, Mr. Trump. You know, passed this uh, uh, tariff legislation based on the fact that he declared Canada a national security threat, which I is outlandish. That. But in his, I think it was a joke, but apparently he told Mr. Trudeau that didn't you guys burn the White House? And Canadians went ballistic that he would point this out. But it's a point of fucking pride for us <laughs> that yeah. we burned down the White House. Depends which pop, pop culture song you listen
1: to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the, the good with bad. We, we automatically associate the positive attributes of the pre colonial rule or. Pre-cloning—I don't know how to describe them—separating of Canada from Britain, but not quite separated from Britain. It's where we define that
0: we're our own bureaucracy, if you will. Well, we definitely <clears throat> separated on much more peaceful terms. Let's put it that way um, than the Americans did. But um, Nicole, just, and that used to be one of our defining things as a country.
2: At least people in this part of Canada. Um, to define ourselves, because we'd had this evolution, not revolution, that the people who'd come here as refugees in 1780s were refugees who'd chosen to be loyal, and that kind of. And then they threw back the Americans in 1812, and they rejected, you know, joining the Americans in, in the 1860s, and, and a whole series of events, you know, mm-hmm. rejecting free trade yeah. in 1911. Because mm-hmm. um, they wanted to not be American, and that's how they find themselves. And they wanted, to, but they didn't want They to, wanted to be loyal to Britain. Yeah. And I don't know if that's that's a part of our identity that I think is gone now um, for a whole series of reasons. Um, but I don't, you know, in the prairies, no one was
0: a loyalist there. I don't think it was. Well, well, we looked into the <laughs> in collection. Welcome on, to Louis Riel Day in February. Or as the English-speaking Manitobans say, Trader Day.
2: Uh, yeah. So a very different kind of way of defining this, again, by region. And obviously, Quebec, the loyalty issue is a complicated thing for them because they chose to be loyal um, but at the same time obviously they had their issues with Britain to, to say the least mm-hmm.
0: well it's I mean that that kind of attitude um, filtered all the way up until the first world war like or even the Boer War prior to it or right John Diefenbaker in the 1960s yeah like you're gonna join because we're going for we're going for Britain yeah, absolutely we're going for the mother country right so that was the idea but um, after the First World War, after the body count started coming back, people were like uh, we want nothing to do with Britain. Well, you still yet, saw a sentiment carry in September on. September nineteen thirty nine, we went to. You're right. You're right. World you're absolutely. No, you're absolutely. So, I'm, I'm. I'm not saying it completely went away. There's definitely it revisited as soon as like mm-hmm. Mr. Hitler decided to invade Poland. Um, but uh, Mr. Hitler, you're so you're so polite. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking mustache scumbag. Anyway, <clears throat> i tr- I got to be careful. What's we got to keep it a family show, remember? I'll give you a quote oh, from
2: 1939. There's this guy named Stephen Leacock, who was a Canadian uh, novelist, humorist, other sort of kinds of things. He had this wonderful quote about September 1939. He said, you know, if you asked a Canadian, would you go to war for Britain? You'd say, no, of course not. And <laughs> if, but if you asked a Canadian, should we go to war for Britain? You'd say, absolutely. And so that was the Canadian, huh? right? It makes no sense, but we will go to war oh, I'm, I'm okay for now. I'll, I'll pour in a minute. Right. Thanks. And so that, I think, sums up kind of maybe that attitude about 1939.
1: But it was really interesting, I think, both the difference between Canadians and Americans. I, th- I, I think the good uh, uh, expectation of good government is, is really the difference. So in Canada, we wait for, if we want a, a pipeline, for example, we wait for the government to decide, okay, should we do it? Where, and really, it's like a national problem
0: sure thank you if,
1: but if we look at Florida because we made fun of Florida earlier and the rising tide waters Florida are,
0: people don't count <laughs> no no no
1: rising tide waters and the issue of um, fentanyl no no the flooding because because the rising tide waters is now inundating their land and the water is now encroaching on is encroaching on, on their ability to b- maintain infrastructure. So they're installing massive pumps in order to, to try and deal with it. Whereas Canada, we don't do that. We, we have a huge problem, especially up north, where islands are being eroded away because of the permafrost melt. And we're, we just see it on CBCs. Okay, it's a problem. And in our carbon taxing.
0: And then they worry about carbon tax. <laughs>
3: because gotta, people are
1: stupid about
0: it. I, gotta put, oh. I, gotta, I always have to put that shot in there. You know that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. I, I think, I think what's, what's really interesting about Americans is that the difference is Canadians go, we as in the government should do something. Whereas in the States, it's we as in should do something. And that, that differentiating between taking action ourselves and watching the government tell us what to do is different.
0: Well, that I mean, I always, I, I always look to guys like uh, I mean, you're you're quite the expert on this, uh, Mr. Professor, but um, like you look at Kennedy, right? Ask not what your country can do for you; ask what you can do for your country. I always like, you know, you look at that as a shining example of the the desire to create innovation, the desire to get off your ass and do something about the problems that are beset in front of you.
2: Can I give you another? That's from Kennedy's Inaugural I'll give you another. Ronald Reagan, who said the seven most dangerous words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Which you may or may not agree with. <laughs> I like it. Um, but I think, you know, in Canada, there is this expectation that government will play a role in some way in your life. And that could be for the beneficial. Where in America, I think mm, the majority of people don't want the government to play, if you play a role. And if you go back to something like railroads, I mean, we sat on our hands for 20 years when we first became a country waiting for the railroad to be built. And there'd been mm-hmm. some crises before. Canada became a country about railroads and things like that. Where in America, they just like, you know, Said anyone who can invest in a railroad, open a railroad, yeah. and there were thousands of railroad companies, most of which went bankrupt and actually plunged the economy to chaos.
1: Oh, the but Rockefeller's
0: st- part of that as well.
2: Rockefeller, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, yeah but
1: but what, our railroad was built with American money anyway, <laughs>
2: and, and with Asian immigrant hands. And <laughs> actually, one of the one of the railroad plans that actually McDonald was behind was actually to, to link up with railroads in the, in the states through the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm which is not saying much for a national project, but I think it goes back to this idea that we will wait for the government to to do these kinds of things.
1: Yeah. PEI is still waiting. <laughs> and they got a ferry, they got a pretty cool bridge. They got a bridge <laughs> with a toll. a train.
0: Yeah, but they revealed the promises of a railway. <laughs> <laughs> so Oops. I'm, g- I'm going to get you to pull away from your mic now, because now you're like, you've actually been loud for a while, but you'll be all right. We're good. Sorry, I gotta be Come that. On. I'm asshole. getting into it. Getting I know, no, it. it's good, it's good. Keep it up. This, this dry it, humor. <laughs> no, it's good. I like it. Um, so where do we go from here?
1: Well, we talked about the differences. Maybe we talk about when we talk about the similarities. Okay.
2: But some of the differences are like kooky. So we just talked about the war in 1939. I mean, we have this idea. Going to the 1960s, there were a bunch of happy peacekeepers and things like that. But we fucking you went know, to war a few years before
3: yeah.
0: America. Both times, yeah, right? it's kind of odd that yeah. peacekeeping thing. It is weird. Like people cling, they cling on to this. Like Walt said in the ad at the beginning of the episode, Joe, right? Joe fucking Canadian, you know. I'm higher. a, I'm a pe- I, I believe in peacekeeping, not war making or whatever he said. And I'm just, <laughs> you're, no, you're absolutely right. We were in Korea. Um, I don't know the re, we had Canadians in Vietnam, but. Um, they were like maybe were, like a staff liaison no, uh, officer. No, no, no of but kind, you,
2: we or... had there. Were, the numbers are sketchy. It's somewhere yeah. between fifteen and twenty thousand Canadians volunteered.
0: Yeah, from Canada to join the U.S. military. And then you Vietnam. know, hundred. And, no, it was volunteers. However but, many it, it, thousands of draft dodgers went into Thunder oh. Bay. <laughs> there's a it's, Sam Roberts. Been even even. could been even even. There's a yeah. Sa- yeah. Sam Roberts. There's a famous Sam Roberts, but it's called an American draft dodger in in Thunder Bay. It's a good song, um, but. Uh, no, but it, I mean, you look at, they talk about the Canadian model, uh, soldier of like being a peacekeeper or whatever, you know, we, yeah, okay. We had different, we had success in, I believe it was in the Suez Canal was one of them. Um, Cyprus was another example. But the, the I mean,
2: those operations, the reason people like Lester Pearson sent Canadian peacekeepers in those things wasn't because he believed in, I mean, he didn't want to. General war, especially in the Cold War, so, but he, you know, the Britain, the British and the French had made a dumb move in Suez, mm-hmm. and he wanted to get them out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And the like, the NATO alliance almost broke up. So that was his. Same with Cyprus, the Greeks and Turks were fighting; they're both NATO members. So sense of peacekeepers and figure that it's not because we were, you know, nice, honest broker kind of people. There were strategic interests to these kinds of things. Yeah. But then I think. To go back to Vietnam, in the context of the 1960s, we wanted to define ourselves as being non-Americans. And Americans were napalming
3: and, well, they're kids. And they are fighting a proxy
2: war, effectively. And doing all kinds of things. And so Canadians said, oh, we've got to define ourselves as being different. So we're doing these peacekeeping things, and they're killing people in Southeast Asia. So, yeah. so I, I,
1: I think I found her a segue. So what is the difference between Canada as a brand and the American brand?
0: Oh, you brought it back to business. Well, it's my feel,
1: Because <laughs> re- really, you touch on it. It's like we use our brand strategically in order
0: to have effects larger than ourselves. That's, well, yeah. That's something they taught me in school. I, I'm surprised we I learned anything at all, <laughs> given how hard it is for information to like filter through my small brain, apparently. But uh, it's everybody feeding. saw... Force uh, feeding. Yeah, yeah. Everybody saw... The the way that they describe Canada is that we're like a we're a middle power, so therefore we don't have we don't have the capacity to you know fund these full scale war efforts, or we don't have the capacity to do all that. So we have to work you know in behind the scenes. We have to work um, diplomatically. We have to work. We have to try and uh create interests amongst other nations to get buy-in on whatever it is our agenda is trying to target or whatever you hear a lot of that so a hundred
1: and some odd years later we're still saying hey joe you ready to go burn down the white house yeah i think we should (laughs) grab the two (laughs) four but yeah i mean i i I think we're there We're, we're still rallying people to do stuff and and collectively change but we're still as a collective pe- as a people or we're
2: still waiting for the government to deal with it for us i guess that's i mean the one part of the joe canadian thing i like is he talks about he can stitch his uh can flag on a backpack yeah and i've you know, I've lived in the states for a few years i've lived in the uk for a few years uh in the nature of my job I that's meet a double meaning people from other countries often and um we have a really good press as a country. We have a really good brand internationally. Um, because we're different from Americans, there's, there's something different, obviously, about us. And people are, you know, they maybe view us as boring or a bunch of igloo-living people or something. That's not a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing because Canada's. we don't have a pretty good press in, in most countries, I think. So,
0: And I don't, know, I don't know if that
2: redounds to the benefit of business. And well, other three things, years but ago,
0: people were talking about the sex appeal of our prime minister as opposed to the... The seventy-some odd year old. Are you just jealous? Coffin that, that they had elected. Stephen Harper's never been on Rolling Stone. Like <laughs> well, his dad. What was the joke about uh, his dad? Well, Trudeau was uh, was um, setting the foundations for for Canada. His wife was laying the stones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether we keep that in or not, but I thought it was a, it's a good little one. moment of levity. <laughs> a
1: where do you go with that? Limestone City. I'm taking this, yeah. <laughs> this
2: podcast, you by Limestone City
1: uh, Ale, that-
2: <laughs> curling.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: This is where conversations go to die. Yeah. This is uh,
0: <laughs> this is our history jokes podcast rendition. <laughs>
1: Anyway. You know, no one's clapping.
0: <laughs> hey, you all laughed. You all laughed. You're all, I'm going to hell and you're all coming with me. But I
2: think, uh, you know, the current government has really put this emphasis on soft power. You know, Canada's And I don't really know if they know what they're doing with that in terms of foreign policy issues, but the previous government, I mean, Mr. Harper, put a big emphasis on Canada as a safe place for investment. Uh, not only in the oil patch, but in other things. We weren't an offensive country. We weren't. A human rights abuser like a Venezuela or Saudi Arabia, you know, it may seem laughable perhaps or something, but like, you know, Jason Kenney talked about, you know, ethical oil in, in in terms of, you know, you want to buy your oil from Saudi Arabia or from Canada and there's a, you know, that's part of that soft power branding too. The Harper government just didn't do that, but mm-hmm. Stephen Harper in I think oh, 2009 or something, he gave a speech in G8 or G20 just in the financial crisis was happening. He said, Canada, you know, our banking system is stable, relatively speaking. Our economy is pretty good. We're not a country that goes around invading people. Mm -hmm. We didn't have overseas colonies, people like us. And I think... You're talking about Harper? It's Harper. Now, here's the thing. Trudeau says the same things. And I think
0: they're not wrong in many ways. I get that. But at the same time, at the time when the liberals were in power during the invasion of Iraq in the early 2000s, Harper was all for going for going in that direction right he wanted to go and basically follow whatever the yanks were doing at the time um and and it was like well we're going to afghanistan we're not going to iraq i mean i could go down a rabbit hole with this but there was a lot of that sentiment so yeah you say that you know we talk about being a um a middle power or that, you know, we're a soft power and we trying to we try to influence behind the lines. We try to show that, you know, we're a good place for investment and stuff and we don't go and wage wars the way that the Americans do. But you know, there's there's sometimes some nuance we there in, as well. You we participate in those American wars sometimes. We do. We yeah. do. Well a lot of the well here's the here's the thing about peacekeeping, right? Can, even while that ad was going on back in two thousand, Canadians were adopting an American style of peacekeeping ten years previous by going into uh, going into places like Somalia, going like that. There's a there's just, a state. The Kosovo our, mission had just ended the previous year, yeah. And of course, boys, our boys were on the ground uh, going into Bosnia. Right? Yeah, That's like we I were. Sta- yeah, yeah, we were. We were talking about peacekeeping and how we're a proud peacekeeping nation, but we were already starting to adopt. You know, I I, I read a book on this. It was called uh, "The Next Hundred Years of." Uh, the next hundred years of American foreign policy um, written by a guy who was in a think tank during the um, Bush administration Mm -hmm. or whatever. Anyway, he, uh, he explained that, you know, or the way that I kind of put things together was that Canadians during the nineties were adopting American style peacekeeping where they're just going in and, you know, we didn't have the same level of, let's say authority, but, well, they just go into a country into- and a, and a, and basically place their authority on the ground, right? No, I think I think we need to pair that with
1: because when these peacekeeping me- missions are governed by NATO and NATO has a way of defining what you can or cannot do to say that's Canadian style, I think is a very limited view on it.
2: I mean, I'd say that the kind of '60s model of peacekeeping or '60s '70s model of peacekeeping. Died in Somalia and Yugoslavia. Um, you know, our boys were taken hostage. You know, the, the, Lewis McKenzie was in command of the UNPROFOR mission in Croatia, Syria, Bosnia. I guess. You know, he talks about they were going around being shot at and couldn't shoot back because they didn't have rules of engagement that would allow them mm-hmm. to do these kinds of things. Yeah, the, the little a, blue helmets. He got in a lot of trouble. I terms, think. But yeah. how did the how did the Yugoslavia mission end? NATO bombed the fuck out of the warring
0: sites. and then we. Intervened in 1998, so that old style peacekeeping is long gone. Was it Mackenzie? He got. He said on the news. He said uh, they asked him a question on on CBC about uh, the UN. He said, "Don't call him after five o'clock." It's it,
2: very true. Very true. <laughs> so yeah,
0: so yeah, those that kind of peacekeeping we
2: don't really do it anymore. There's a mission in, oh, I mean, now. We're getting sidetracked on peacekeeping. Yeah. I guess, but yeah. no, but
1: no, you're you're right. We we are the action arm of political will. So to tie it back is. Canadians expect good government, okay? And we expect these, everything's going to flow within Canadian values. The problem I I find with Canadians, as a Canadian, is that the situation changed. You you go into a mess, and you're like, I'm going to clean it up, or I'm going to help clean it up. The problem is that when you go into a particular place, the situation may not be as well-defined as you thought was possible. So when we talk about the down, you know, as as colonial powers va- left a vacuum in different countries, um, plus, the, I guess, the rewrite of borders after World War II, like, we, we saw a lot of power vacuums. And when Canadians drop in, they forget that they're, a, is the previous power spent a lot of money trying to stabilize a region, and then we're not willing to invest in the long term of dealing with particular things. Canadians want to be like the firefighters. We th- throw a bunch of money at it. We send a bunch of people.
0: And we think that that is th- the problem. And the
1: fire is gone. We leave. But realize that there's, there's a bunch of people sitting there going, now What? And when,
0: when when people are desperate to do
1: desperate things.
0: Well, oh, I think that's a that's not just limited to being Canadians. I think that's a that's a Western um consequence. That's a consequence of being within North America, right? I mean you you wanna look at examples, look at uh look at what's happened in Afghanistan. How much time have we spent actually Building a country up that we went to war in, right? Like, the, do you mean,
2: like, we failed at nation building in Afghanistan? Because we, it wasn't worth it in the end, right? I think. In terms of, in terms of where <coughs> the government put its money. But the Kakaian is not set up like that, though. Well, I know, but I, no, I, I don't, I, I don't uh, disagree, I think. But it was a general failing, I think, of all the Western powers, if we wanted to rebuild Afghanistan. No, I don't
1: think it is. Because no? the U.S. has a slightly different model. So... But one of the differences that really defines us as a Canadian as a, a, a peacekeeper, peace I don't know why I'm stuttering today, as a peacekeeping society. have been drinking. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot. <laughs> but anyways, what defines us as Canadians is that we go in and uh, DFATD or Industry Canada, they go and work with the local people. doesn't matter how corrupt they are, we work with them to try and build their organic, national entities so, so they sorry, can stand on their own what's d fat d, d- GAT. it's GAC today it's GAT. they changed oh. the name again yeah they did <sighs>
0: what, what is, is it global affairs Canada. global affairs canada so what do they do the F-
1: department of foreign affairs and trade development canada which is now GAT. So
0: basically like they're the representatives of what From in Canadians.
1: industry canada and the government of canada together okay so we go work with them and say okay well, listen we have technology or a way of doing things to help develop you, what do you need to get on your feet? Okay. Whereas the Americans usually export their companies to work in that area.
0: The businessman.
1: No, what's really <laughs> interesting about Afghanistan is the mineral resources and the untapped oil reserve because it's really been at war since we've developed technology.
0: <laughs> nobody's That's been why su- they call us the crusaders, okay? Yeah. No, nobody's been successful at foreign policy with, Amer- with Afghanistan since... Genghis Khan, since uh, Alexander the Great. No, I think he failed it too. <laughs> he failed as well. Yeah, he failed as well. Not even Alexander the Great succeeded. So, 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 so
1: that's the really the difference when you when you see the American war machine at work. Just picture like if you're driving a Cessna and Big Brother pulls up in an Airbus 320 or bigger, some or a seven, or, uh, 747. Like you're sitting there going. And th- this thing goes on, and you can't even hear your radio in your own aircraft. And they got,
0: and they got like freshly popped champagne, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even hear your radio. So, so because they've got eagles blaring on it for you, and
3: <laughs> America.
1: I, I think it's like as like we're like the little brother of the U.S. I think that's like an almost an overstatement because the resolve is different. Okay. So when Canada goes in, because we're such a minor partner, it's easy for us to hand off to a smaller European country and say, "Here, your turn. Tag your it." Mm. Um, where the U.S. goes, okay, the children are playing. Um, they're a minor problem, so-
2: <laughs> I guess. We're we we're, we're out to play our part, but Americans, when they play ball, are out to like remake countries in a huge. Way. so if you look at something like the Marshall Plan or rebuilding Japan after the Second World War or or Iraq and Afghanistan, they, I mean the Americans have spent something like a trillion dollars just on reconstruction efforts in uh, Iraq since two thousand three and Afghanistan since two thousand one. I mean it's incredible because that's our it. GDP, right? In in they've spent it just on developing yeah. these countries. Wait, wait, wait. Just remember their debt ratio.
1: Oh, so it's not, they're yeah. spending somebody else's money.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, it's an empire doing empire well, things
2: exactly. And I think that's it's and it goes back to some of these ideas that America, with enough can-do spirit, you can
0: remake. I think you know parts of the world, and everyone wants to be like America. Now there's, here's there's here's there. a question I have for you that's kind of like been on like the tip of a lot of conversations that I had, but the idea of America being an empire, and you, we've seen the collapse of many empires. Um, over the time of our, you know, just how we've studied things in the last, let's say, 200 years or whatever, um, the rise and fall of several different empires, the Ottoman Empire, German, I, I wouldn't say the British Empire has fallen, because it didn't, there's still Caicos, British people. And yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> No, I, I think, I think, I think with, oh, what's What do you think about that? I don't, I, I think we just shifted. Um, It's. Oh, what was the, what was that the author that was the, the who coined the phrase is the invisible arm is economics. It's the same way the the Vatican has power. How does the royal family still have power? I think it comes down to the change in ownership. When we could talk about the concept of ownership and the ability to borrow against property, um How we we fund ourselves really fundamentally defines as power. So, the American war machine, I think we we, we see it as a view of making war. Okay? But it isn't just... that's, that's, That's like... It's like the foam on the beer, you know, that like looks nice and creamy. It's it like if you
0: to have weapon sales through their military industrial complex. And you and you said <laughs> the fall of the Ottoman
1: Empire, but when you start comparing the current tensions between Pakistan and India, and the biggest question isn't the fact that they shot down something, but did they use um an American aircraft to do it? Did they? That's under investigation.
2: Oh, so yeah. the Indians did, didn't they? And then the Pakistanis had MiGs. Isn't that I think, I think it was the other way around. Where's the other around.
1: So the Pakistanis, the reason why they had uh, um, I forget the number, but the American aircraft is because Pakistan was the intermediary base to go to Afghanistan. So they had strategic, strategic alliance for that period. The Americans sold them aircraft, much like they do Canadians, and then there's t- certain terms of use in order to use these these aircraft. But is not the question that they went to war. They use an American aircraft to do it. So we know the Australians use American products, New Zealand use American products, Israel uses some American products but make a lot of their own. And how many other U- American, uh, European countries use American products in order to be interoperable and work in a coalition? I, I think when you talk about the American war machine, you really need to incorporate the business aspect of what that does to fund all their internal resources. And as an export product developed by the Americans and sent away. So, the the concept that the Americans are a war
0: machine, and really think pre World War One, that didn't exist. So exporters of American foreign policy is how the lawyers would put it. So <laughs> you, you start seeing this, what is what has it been to take to be American, and then you
1: come to Canada and like German Dynamics, Canada. Hmm, Talus Canada, and when you what's really interesting is when you start going into the contracts, where it's it's Talus is the same company in the U.S., but you don't actually get access to everything the U.S. sponsored. It's like so.
0: Netflix in Canada; you yeah. don't get access to the Netflix American program, or like they're used to in Ford Canada or GM Canada. Same yeah. Kind of, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like when we talk about the the brand that is American, you. You don't see Canada as, a, as an exporting of a war because a lot of our Canadian war m- manufacturers are, in fact, running under the American banner. Right.
2: I mean, if you want to talk about American the way m- American empire works in other ways, I mean, they have physical bases, several hundred of them overseas. Yeah. Um, you know, from places like Guam to smaller things, you know, other kinds of black ops sites and all kinds of things. Um, they have, you know, an alliance system with, not just NATO, but uh, in Southeast Asia and in other sorts of places, um, the Americans bankroll the, the the IMF and the World Bank and then yeah. uh, different kinds of things. Until recently, I think. Until oh, until you know, Trump, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the and, brand has uh, <laughs> taken a hit, yeah. and in terms of cultural I and mean, cultural power is another aspect that empires always have. Yeah. And I mean, collectively, our children have spent. Vast fortunes on Disney, uh, amongst other American kinds of products. Well,
0: we've mentioned it before on the on the podcast. Like, just look at those Marvel films. Like, those are the absolutely s- those are the single most expensive artifacts that we've ever created as a human race. Yeah. Like, if you have some alien race that comes and visits the planet after we're long and dead and starts excavating, they all of a sudden they see the Avengers movies. Like, these things cost fucking billions of dollars <laughs> like it's crazy but just can, for a tiny but you can also go to <clears throat> vietnam and the yeah. country
2: america used to be war with and you can go watch the simpsons and, and dubbed in vietnamese i yeah. mean i don't know if that says the best homer simpson is the best yeah. cultural <laughs> diplomat but it says something for american culture that it's everywhere right
0: you kind of raised a very interesting question there whiskey um, earlier and you mentioned um what does it take to be an american and I I, I kind of want to before you try the blue try the blue, <laughs> you gotta try it. I didn't buy it to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> oh oh he brought out his good stuff. He yeah. got out the blue label. Ooh. Um. Now you talked about what does it take um to be to be an American? Or you kind of brought it up a little bit. That's something that I found interesting. I actually I brought a clip uh with me this time because I. There's a show that I really liked um, a couple of years ago that came out called The Newsroom. You ever? And they talked about um, the idea on which America was founded. Now, say what you will about the clip or the the comment itself. I'll just play it for you, and I'll I'll throw it into the end of the podcast myself. But
2: the greater fool is actually an economic term. It's a patsy. For the rest of us to profit, we need a greater fool. Someone who will buy long and sell short. Most people spend their lives trying not to be the greater fool. We toss him the hot potato. We die for his seat when the music stops. The greater fool is someone with the perfect blend of self-delusion and ego to think that he can succeed where others have failed. This whole country was made by greater fools.
0: So it's kind of like... It's Aaron Sorkin's writing, and it's pretty hyperbolic. Um, the show was The Newsroom. It came out in like 2012, I want to say, somewhere around there. It lasted three seasons and then was canceled on HBO. But uh, see, I, I, I liked the quote. I thought it was kind of cool. But then when you, I don't know, I'll just let you do the talking.
1: I would say it's very pessimistic because everybody everybody's a patsy and they wouldn't ever make any money. Unless you're invested with Madoff. But,
0: um, well, I wouldn't say it's pessimistic, but in the context of the quote, it's actually supposed to be very hopeful. The idea is, like, go big. Like, dream big and, and yeah, go said forth everyone, and do great Everyone,
1: things. when you when talk in absolute and everyone's a patsy, and there's winners and losers, and, and we got it. Otherwise, we wouldn't play the lottery. Um, rich people don't play the lottery. But anyways... <laughs> um, <coughs> It's very pessimistic. Because, well, for in Canada, that's actually a very good quote if you want to contrast with Canadians. When we say that we're just trying to live our lives to the best of our ability and then be happy with that. Be happy that I can afford a house uh, if you live outside the Toronto or Vancouver areas. And then raise our children with a reasonable expectation that they're going to grow up. Um, I, I think that's, that's, that's important. When we talk about saying that everybody's passing it, that means most of us are going to be losers. And and I and I think when you talk about like having kids in the U.S. and and that big bill that comes at the end of having kids, mm. um, not everybody can afford. Um, I think there's some room for discussion there.
0: That's a really good point. Like it suggests that. Yeah, I like. I I didn't have. Nev- I never thought about it that way. It suggests that the rest of us, like we shouldn't be happy with our lot in life. So we should go big or go home. We should, you know, we should bet high and, like, that's supposed to be the, the op the optimism, whether it's hopeless or not. There's a. I
2: think it's, I'm trying to think whose quote is it. A guy, named, I think it's Bertolt Brecht who wrote a thing called Three Penny Opera. Anyway. Um, he went, This was in the context of the 1920s and 1930s. He was asked why America had never become socialist, which you could obviously debate little debates about what's going on in the news today. But uh, But Rick he said Arley? the reason, the reason uh, was because he felt Americans were just a bunch of em- embarrassed millionaires. Like everyone is just waiting to get rich or they're down on their luck, but their luck will change. Interesting. And that's cooked in, I think,
0: to the American pie, too. In some ways. George Carlin said, that's the thing about the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Or drunk. Or drunk. Um, I don't know. I think... Uh, oh. We got anything else that we want to add to it? Is that probably a good n- note to end on? Uh, so we talked about, obviously, differences, I think briefly, but anyway, between Canadians and Americans on beer,
2: but obviously another defining thing would be hockey i can't believe we missed hockey i can't believe
0: you
1: missed
3: hockey. yeah that's pretty me bad. it
2: doesn't come my conversation every
3: day it's like that's <laughs> that is
0: you want to talk i can talk all day long about hockey but like there is a canadian export right there i i mean literally in, in a literal sense can hockey is a canadian export not just in like most players within the nhl are are canadian that may be a incorrect statement is probably getting closer to like 50 50 like 50 percent are canadians and then the other 50 are a mix mash of like scandinavian finnish swedish and american that kind of thing but like look at the fact that we are sending people to um countries in europe to train up their hockey programs so that they can become competitive in 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 tournaments like the iahf or the Olympics, all that kind of stuff.
1: But didn't we lose the gold medal this
0: year for men's hockey? Yes, we did, because there's an overconfidence that happens that because you're Canadian, you that must therefore be great. It's like no, that's not how it works. You actually have to work hard at this shit. We lose that. We think that there's there's a there's a there's a negative there there's a negative aspect about being Canadians that hockey's our sport. It's like no, it's our sport, but. We have to own that shit.
1: So you're saying the women saved it?
0: What? And the women win? Well, maybe they did. That's irrelevant. (sighs) So, what is it? It's irrelevant whether it's men or women. Like, okay, so Canadian women play hockey better than any other women who play in the world who play hockey as well. But what does it say? Go figure.
2: Rocks. If, uh, you know, the majority of American or NHL teams are American. Obviously, they have the money draw. Gary Bettman obviously would rather open a team in sunny Las Vegas than a absolutely cool Quebec City. What does that? What does that say then about it? Musicians? Says
0: everything that we've been talking about Canadian policy or Canadian foreign policy. It's that we try we try and do the best that we can with what we have, but at the end of the day, everything we do gets bought out by the Americans. That's how it works.
1: Well, I would say Nortel said it would be stolen by the Chinese, but <laughs> I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. I would say that a we're a North American identity. Okay, we we use the 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 draw and the economic engine of the US um with the Canadian resourcefulness, like bubble gums, the InstaPot, um the I mean, those are all... C- the zipper? The zipper, Canadian invention. So like in Kingston here, we got a, a 3M research plan. We have an Investa plant. I mean...
2: Du- I think it's DuPont. And here. DuPont's DuPont. still here, so... Yeah.
1: So you think about Canada as, as, as a means to do something. So if skating on ice and you have PV equals NRT that allows you to skate really fast...
0: Um, ideal gas law. Sorry, I'm shaking my head at you right now. Um, You're losing me. <laughs> uh, I mean we can do some, f- uh,
1: fantastic things. Lacrosse, which I've never played. Have it's you- our
0: actual national sport, by the you way. You play lacrosse? I played lacrosse when I was briefly a kid. in high school. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've My never- wife played lacrosse. I've never. I've held a stick once.
0: It's awesome. Such a good sport. So. In the summer,
1: and ironically, yeah. I went to a French school, so you figure the French Canadian thing would tr- transfer, but it didn't. Um, <clears throat> it's huge in the states. Lacrosse is huge. In the yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah.
0: Not as much as football. Well, true, true. There's a whole culture about football. Like, oh man, like. How big are their stadium? Like how much money gets put into a goddamn stadium? But they're you're just talking about a high school level too. I know, just high school level alone. Not like not even college football or in the NFL. Like
1: yeah, we're not talking about 300 person schools here. We're talking about five thousand students going to one school. Like let's look at this. Talk about the scale.
0: Like the scale needs to make sense. I get it. I get it. But when you ask me the question of, um, you know, when Most teams are owned by an American company or owned by a guy named Gary Bettman who, you know, we all love to hate. Like the sport isn't business acquisition of brands. That's not our sport. Our sport is hockey and that's what we export. People just buy that shit up and they're willing to exploit it so that they can make exorbitant amounts of money on it. Right? An American sport would be corporate interests and how do how do we how do we how do we buy shit up so we can make money off of it i don't understand the distinction (laughs) do you no there's no distinction business is business we're looking to get the best outcome for the investment that we have but we will never canadians will never have that we'll never have that level of you'll never see a, a canadian hockey league on the scale that has American teams in it, on the scale that the NHL has,
1: why would it? Unless
0: we're going to start having kids. How many kids do you but have? But you're asking about how many the kids do you have between Americans and Canadians. How many kids do you have? Just one.
1: Just one. I I got one. I got one. Yeah, we're never going to get there. Yeah, it's a population. I'm difference. not
0: saying it's right or wrong. I'm just a. Telling, explaining what it is. You asked me the difference between why the difference between Americans and Canadians, and that's that's one difference.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say we were solely rely on exports. I mean, we have a lot of think tanks. Um, I want to say Ona, but it would be Ina. Anyways, there's several, a lot of companies that all we do as Canadians is is we know that we don't have the people. We we can't even stock the factories that that, that manufacture things. The only way we can do it is we, we, we develop our own intellectual property and then we license it to somebody else to make. Okay, Canada says we have opportunity here. But opportunity, I think the word is kind of misleading in some sense. We have opportunities. We have these great ideas. We'll lend it. We'll give you the, you give us a royalty, have a nice day. I mean, um, Dragon's Den would be the biggest thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. but i mean for the for the masses but we do it all the time we come with great ideas we sell portions of or, or a big part of it and do we become richer and that allows us to solve that brain drain problem because mm-hmm. we think the only way to make money is to
0: leave well that's where you we come back full circle of the argument about canadian innovation right mm-hmm. um and i think he, a lot of Canadian innovation comes from the necessity or the need, I should say, to create quality of life, to enable quality of life amongst other people within our group, within our culture, whatever you, however way you want to put it. Right. Um, another example that commonly gets brought up is, and that's something that we could talk to that's semi-related to, you know, our favorite sport is just the fact that we have cold weather. Like, the hardship that cold weather creates on the great people of the North, you know, Canadians. I mean, there's, that's something that gets talked about a lot. And it's not just Canadians, but it's people in you know, people who live in Massachusetts or people who live in New York, people who live in coastal regions in the, in the Northeast and Northwest. Wisconsin. Yeah. Wisconsin. Uh, So so what I'm
1: hearing is your wife is getting you to do stuff in the garage right now.
0: Well, there's a lot of that too. I can't go in my garage cuz it's full of my wife's stuff. She's she's infiltrated and taking control of it with all of her her business products. So I can't really do anything with that right now. Man up, build another one. Oh yeah, man up. Okay. Mr. Masculinity over here. <laughs> anyway, that's all I had. We've been going for about an hour, eh?
1: Yeah, or okay. 10.
0: That's not bad. That's probably a good note to end it on yeah i think so i can't anything add anything inspiring so so i i I think
1: maybe to sum up the thoughts is that yeah there are differences between uh canadians and americans but there's a lot of similarities i think we're all there trying to make our best um and if you look for the route that makes you the best economically we, we migrate where we need to go if you're coming from newfoundland to alberta or we're going from canada to the u.s we're looking to make the best for our family I think freedom, that's a big part of our freedom. Um, But understand that everybody has a regional culture that they're participating in. No difference between Kingston, Gatinaquia, or Ottawa and Toronto. There's cultural differences, and just understand they're different. And give everybody a chance when you meet them.
0: Professor, any last words? I think that was a hopeful study. That was great. I like it. That was good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you coming down here. And Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, it was great. I think we had a lot of fun with this one. Um, so with that... I'm Whiskey. And I'm Rox. See you next week. Hey, everybody. Rox here. I just want to take a moment of your time and shamelessly ask that you like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your weekly dose of Whiskey and rocks. We're currently on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and YouTube, and we're now on Spotify and we're continuously looking for more ways to expand. As well, you can help us out even more if you write us a review on Facebook, tell all your friends, and even get involved in the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more 320 Club.